We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Put myself in the same category as Dwayne. Now our test is jumped over the scores table. Our test is in the stands. This man was a bona fide scrub. He can't play. When I go to the writers to tell me who can guard in this league, I'll put a gun to my own head. Welcome to the Roadwire NBA podcast. It is Thursday, August 29th. Nick Whalen here with Alex Barutha. Uh, since the last time we've talked, Alex, Dwight Howard is now a Los Angeles Laker. We'll start with that. Uh, a few quick news items to get to before we dive into some gambling stuff, um, some ADPs as, as early drafts are underway. Um, but I think the last time we we recorded, DeMarcus Cousins had torn his ACL as we were recording. During so we kind of got a chance to react to that live. At the time, we knew that the Dwight Howard rumors were out there. Um, I think they were also considering Gortat. They were considering Joakim Noah. Um, most baits most baits as well i'm shocked they didn't go in that direction but you know they picked kind of the lesser of four evils i guess in my <laughs> mind in dwight howard um it, it does seem like from what i've read and what i've heard there were a lot of people that that would have preferred joe kim noah for the lakers and and yeah. i i understand that i do too i i think there's probably a little bit less risk with joe kim noah i i think the potential reward 
with Dwight Howard is a little bit higher, even if there's only like a 10% chance you get that reward. Uh, yeah, I agree. Um, I, I think this really just comes down to like locker room stuff because I'm pretty sure Dwight Howard can still play at like a very passable NBA level, like yes. fringe starter. I don't really have any doubts about that. Like I know his mobility isn't what it used to be with his back and all that. And he's down 20 pounds, man. He's <laughs> every his mobility year he's been is down going to be better pounds. than ever. Um, and I mean, there is some on the court stuff with like demanding post ups or whatever. But like, I mean, like you said, the ceiling yeah. is is definitely higher with Dwight Howard. And I mean, I guess the question is, do you think? I, I guess a lot of this stems from Anthony Davis not wanting to play center, right? And you need some depth then at the position. If you assume Dwight and JaVale are splitting time yep. at center, then like that's not a bad, I mean, that's a pretty good option then for them. All things considered. Yes. I mean, I, I, as I've said over and over, like I'm, I still believe in Dwight. I know the, I think you, you really can't even put into perspective, like what the off court issues are at this point. I mean, he's the way he's talked about, it's like, he, is like a multi-time like convicted murderer right. you know like like all the headlines and whatnot are so negative it's like this guy has really never done anything all that bad he just seems to be a guy that other players don't like right. and my argument to james when he was you know berating dwight howard yet again was like the lakers are already going to be a catastrophic locker room situation you know i mean you already have javel mcgee you already have rajon rondo lebron who for as good of an on-court leader as he is i, I think there are still some questions as to yeah you know, his leadership style under certain circumstances, you know, especially when he has a team that maybe isn't one of the top two or three best rosters in the league. We've, we've kind of seen that be combustible. Like I just think adding Dwight Howard to the mix doesn't make it all that much worse. You know, this isn't like a a team like Milwaukee or Denver or I don't know, Utah, Portland, you know, some of these teams that have continuity that, that you kind of think of as cohesive units, bringing in Dwight Howard for a team like that would be really risky. You know, you, you would, potentially ruin that chemistry the lakers don't have any chemistry to ruin so to me like why not just throw dwight howard into the mix you already have this combustible group of individuals i i just i don't think the chemistry was going to be all that great in the first place so to me it's worth that risk right and they signed him to a non-guaranteed deal right. like he's being paid i think by is it by the day more or less yeah, yeah. he's like a day laborer um <laughs> yeah he's just like at the unemployment office and if they let him in the building that day to play he's able to play there there that's the other thing there's no commitment here i, I think maybe the risk is that another team signs Joe Kim Noah or Mo Spates or whoever, whoever was option two here. Right. Um, but you know, I, I think there's at least a reason for the Lakers to see this through. Um, and the other thing too, is like, I, there's an argument that maybe overall, when you factor in health, like Joe Kim Noah, again, is a safer option and maybe even the better player, but I don't know that they need what Joe Kim Noah provides. Like this isn't a team that's looking for playmaking at the center spot. You know, you already right. have Davis, you have LeBron, you have Rondo, um i think for what this team needs in theory what dwight brings makes the most sense it's just a matter of you know for the first time in five years is he finally going to be reliable and productive you know i of course i would bet on no but um given the circumstances i I don't think it was as egregious as a signing as you know the public kind of made it out to be right and i mean this just kind of ups their potential as a really good defensive team because they i mean they in the backcourt you know they have like kcp who's a solid defender danny green obviously on the wing they're gonna have some issues if Kyle Kuzma has to guard like small forwards and shooting guards, but I mean the potential to have Anthony Davis and Dwight Howard on the court at the same time, despite what you think about yep. Dwight Howard, um, that would be one of the best defensive front courts in the league, probably behind Embiid and Al Horford. But other than that, yep. there not too many other teams could touch that. Dwight Howard did play in nine games last year. I don't remember that happening. It seemed like he was just gone the entire year, but he played in nine games, played about twenty five minutes a game, and averaged thirteen points, nine rebounds. Two years ago, he played in eighty one games. 
his healthiest season since 2009-10, averaged 17 points, 12.5 rebounds, 1.5 blocks. Right. And I mean, yeah, I'm looking at his basketball reference page right now, like games he's played between 20 and 29 minutes, 232 of them, he averaged 13 and 10 with like a block and a half. Um, So I mean, yeah, all that, you know, adds up to, I think if Howard, I I would assume Dwight would play at least 20 minutes a game, um, probably 24. I I, I imagine like an even split between him and JaVale. Yeah, what's tough, I mean, JaVale, wherever he's been, whether it's the Lakers or, or the Warriors kind of being the most recent stops, they've basically capped him at like 17 or 18 minutes no matter what it's yeah. not like the lakers had other great options at center last year and they still neglected you know to play javel he played like i think 20 minutes even almost again yeah i think even less than that so it, it leads me to believe that, like dwight howard's not just going to be a guy who is there for emergency purposes you know i, I wouldn't be surprised if he starts over half the games he plays for la i don't know what what that number is going to be but um i'm cautiously optimistic if you can't tell would you draft dwight howard in a fantasy league I'm in a normal league probably not right no i mean in a deeper league if you need i like i completely envision myself picking him up at some point if i'm in need of rebounds because yeah even if he's at 50 percent, i mean he had a terrible back last year and still grabbed you know 10 rebounds a game basically right. in 25 minutes like he's if nothing else he's going to provide you with league average for the position if not slightly higher blocks and really really good rebounding field goal percentage yeah great field goal percentage i mean he's going to be a killer obviously at the free throw line but he, he did shoot you know, he's been closer to 60% these last few years, whereas earlier in his career, he was, you know, kind of in the, the high 40s at times. So, no, I, to answer your question, no, I don't think I'll plan on drafting him, yeah. but I certainly plan on picking him up in certain leagues. Sure. A um, couple other news items that came through this morning. Strangely busy day as yeah. August 29th go in the, in the NBA calendar. Wilson Chandler, confirmed cheater. He will be suspended 25 games. Uh, I, I wrote in the note on the site that, you know, there's a chance he could appeal. Maybe it'll be changed. Doesn't seem like that's going to happen based no. on the NBA's uh, statement today, based on what we read in the Woj article. seems like it's pretty cut and dried. You know, he, he used a substance while he was recovering from an injury. You know, not – I think when you hear PED, at least I still think of, like, Barry Bonds. Right. You know, like, Wilson Chandler's just, like, shooting up. He's getting huge. Like, no, I mean, almost always in the NBA, especially when guys – have a PED suspension. It's recovering from an injury, right. you know, things like that. Um, but he he came out with the usual. I didn't know, you know, it was a, it was a substance that was recently added to the list. Mm-hmm. And then Woj kind of like backhandedly was like, yeah, the substance has been on the list since 2015. So yeah. it, I don't see this one getting reversed. So 25 games for Wilson Chandler. Yeah, I mean, I, there's really not that much to look into. I mean, he really just didn't have a good year last year. So like the the fact he was trying to do something to to get back to his former self makes sense. Um, you know, from the Nets perspective, I thought it was kind of weird that they signed him anyway. I didn't think he was going to play that big of a role, maybe just more of like a veteran presence. But I mean, this is, I guess, more of an opportunity for guys like Torian Prince, um, Rogan's Kuruks, um, maybe maybe even Zanon Musa action. Yeah. Uh, David Nwaba, maybe, um, I think he's on the Nets. Nets. Um, I'll I'll believe you. But yeah, I guess, I mean, for, for fantasy purposes, this is probably just a, a slight bump for like Prince and Kuruks and and guys like that. Yeah. I think it's a big opportunity for Prince, especially, um, you know, we were kind of debating what do we do in terms of tweaking projections and whatnot. And obviously for the 25 games that Wilson's out, I think Prince becomes super valuable. And if he plays well enough, you know, there might be a significantly smaller role for Chandler when he comes back than what we expected. You know, I, I, I think we, I was pretty optimistic about Chandler. I mean, two years ago, he was still a guy who was a really good player, 
started 71 games, averaged almost 32 minutes a game and for a good Denver team. Um, and last year was just, you know, kind of a wash. So yeah, we'll see. I mean, this, this kind of leaves the door open now for Prince to, to really grab a hold of that spot. In New Orleans, we had a pretty big injury uh, to, you know, admittedly a guy who's not really on too many fantasy radars, but Darius Miller down, torn Achilles. Um, the press release said they expect a recovery of seven to eight months. That seems aggressive. really aggressive. I mean, I, ho- I hope it's only seven to eight months, but I would not expect to see Darius Miller on the court at all next season. No, I mean, yeah, he, he wasn't really a fantasy guy, except if you were trying to stream three-pointers because he hit basically two threes a game last season in, in 25 minutes. So, And there were some games he played you know, close to 30 because they were dealing with so many injuries. So, um, But he wasn't a guy who's going to get drafted in standard leagues. No. And, I mean, the the Pelicans are so deep on the wing. Like, their two through four positions are just absolutely loaded with players. So I don't know if... You know, I don't know if these theoretical minutes that open up really go to anyone in particular. I mean, maybe like Nicolo Melli. Yeah, but we, we really, really don't know much about him. I mean, right. and this this was going to be a really, really crowded wing rotation. Yeah. So, you know, if, I hate to even use the word silver lining with an injury, but like at, at least it kind of clears that up a little bit because Miller, like you said, was a guy who, you know, I mean, if you didn't follow college basketball, you probably don't really know a whole lot about him, but he's worked his way into becoming a really reliable, you know, kind of three and D wing and he was going to take minutes from you know potentially guys like Etwan Moore, Josh Hart, you know even JJ Redick coming into this situation, Melly, Brandon Ingram. So right. all those guys inherently benefit. You know I, I don't think you're you can look and say well this now means that Etwan Moore is going to play five more minutes a game. Like it's certainly not that simple. Right. Um, but for all those guys that I just named, you know I, I think this is maybe a slight boost to their value. Sure. We have Mellow Watch. It's been a while since we've had any actual Mellow news, uh, but he is scheduled to work out today with a group of New York Knicks mm-hmm. in Manhattan. This is according to Frank Isola uh, in a report that he published for The Athletic. Melo's been working out in L.A. apparently with Kyrie. Um, Isola also reports that Kyrie and KD have been, quote, pushing the Nets to sign Carmelo <laughs> Anthony. Uh, They're the ones who gave Wilson uh, Chandler PEDs. Right, exactly. I Yeah, awfully suspicious. I, I think that the Chandler thing sets up perfectly because, <laughs> really you know, I mean, the Nets, like, it's not like they have this massive hole all of a sudden. We just named a couple guys that, that they can have to fill in. But, you know, it at least, like, brings it into the public conversation. It it actually makes more sense for the Nets than the Knicks, I think, because uh, yeah. we already kind of saw what Kyrie, this the pull that Kyrie and Katie have on the Nets by having them sign DeAndre Jordan despite right. having – a more than passable center in Jared Allen, who essentially is just as good yeah. as Jorgen, or depending on who you talk to, some people think he's better. But so, I mean, if if any of these two teams have a better chance of signing uh, Carmelo, I actually think it's the Nets. I think so too. And I mean, the other part of this is New York already signed like four power forwards this summer. <laughs> yeah. Like it would be a, it would be an affront to Bobby Portis and Julius Randle <laughs> if they signed. It would make no sense. I mean, they they're they're loaded with you know, average to below average players at every position. They don't, they don't need Mello. Um, but yeah, Mello is uh, allegedly going to work out for the Knicks in informal five on five sometime in the next week or two. Uh, Hashim the beat also yes. expected to be there. So I, again, I think the only player that the Knicks need less than Carmelo Anthony is probably Hashim the beat. Probably. They have Mitchell Robinson. They have all those guys that they signed. That would make no sense at all, but it is the Knicks. So something to consider. <laughs> um, Last thing I want to talk about, this isn't really news, but FIBA World Cup gets underway this weekend, right. Sunday at 7.30 a.m. Central Time for us. Okay. Uh, Czech Republic at USA. I will almost certainly not be watching that live unless something terrible happens. 
all of the USA's pool play games are at 7.30 a.m. our time, uh, 8.30 Eastern. Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday are the opening round games. I think we'll probably just watch those on delay. They've all been very available to stream, which has been nice. But uh, my question to you, how much would it matter to you if Team USA doesn't win this tournament? Not really that much. I mean, they they, they are – it's just not the – is it what the, the C team, the D team – arguably it's like a c minus team c minus team um like it, w- it would be great to as i mean as long as they're competitive i think that's that's really what matters like if it if they got bounced like pretty badly by a bad team that would i think then it would matter uh i mean arguably um but i don't usually put too much stock into stuff like fiba or the olympics unless mm-hmm. it's really you know our top players there, like our all nba players there, guys like that um so this it wouldn't matter too much to me I think Team USA should still win just based on the talent and the depth. Yeah. I mean, you, you can look at the other rosters. You know, I think Serbia is the one team I think that people look at as maybe the biggest threat. There are a few others. You know, Greece has Giannis. Other teams have two, three, four NBA caliber players, but usually that third or fourth guy is, you know, a borderline, you know, a, a borderline roster guy. And then, you know, your five through 12 are just not NBA players whatsoever. Like, right. The thing you can say about Team USA is even if the the talent at the top is not super elite, it's still very good. But it's not LeBron, it's not Harden, it's not Curry. Um, they go twelve deep with right. rotation players, like yes. starting caliber players in the NBA. So to, to me, there's really no excuse. I, I get the continuity, and it's it's tough to value you know what playing together for six seven years like Team Australia uh, actually means. But at the end of the day, I just I think in the past I've cared more about this tournament. Um, yeah. If it was the Olympics, I think it'd be a bigger deal. Right. But I, I think as long as Team USA qualifies for the Olympics, which obviously they'll do, uh, that's that's kind of the bigger concern for me. Like snapping the seventy-eight game losing streak last week, I, I don't, know. I didn't really care. No, I agree. Okay, so ADPs, right. early ADPs are out on fan tracks. You've mm-hmm. been doing several best balls. We have one coming up. When is that? Sunday it starts. Okay, the Sunday. Draft. Um. That's so a you deep one, 20 teams. 20 teams, slow draft. Um, so yeah, I'm sure we'll be updating on Twitter with that. But you went through and combed through all the ADPs um, right. and kind of made a couple lists of guys who are maybe too high, guys who are too low, guys who are kind of right in the middle that we'll discuss. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of let you take it from there and, and start with whoever you want. Sure. And we'll probably do an article on this, kind of more of a deep dive. But and it's also important to consider that ADPs don't change based on like format. So if you're in a points league, the ADPs are going to be the same as if you're in a roto league. So that's something to consider. Um, but I guess to kick things off with someone I think is too high is Kawhi Leonard. I think, I mean, this is a, this is a tough one because I think the end of the first round in fantasy drafts this year is just, it's brutal. Like you don't want to pick there because most of the guys in that end are great talents, but they're injury concerns. Like Kawhi, he played 60 games last year. And he was the 22nd ranked player. Or should we assume that he plays more games than that? And even if he plays 60, 65 games, is he going to be a better player than he was last year? Like production wise, he's on a better team now. And so like, it's hard to, you know, theoretically like pass up Kawhi Leonard or even Paul George at that spot. Who's probably, who might miss a month of the season to draft someone like, you know, Andre Drummond or Mm -hmm. something like that. But um, I'm just not sure that that's a a risk worth taking he's never played more than 74 games that was 2016-17 um the year that 
Zaza stepped on his foot in the playoffs, right. and that kind of sent him on this path that he's been on these last two years. 69 combined games the last two years. Obviously, Toronto was as conservative as they could be. I, I the, the general expectation seems to be like the rest of Kawhi's career, that's just how it's going to be. I don't think he's going to be a 60-game player the rest of the way. I, I think that'll... You know, I don't think this is necessarily an Embiid situation. Like, it wouldn't surprise right. me if he played 70 games this year. It would surprise me a lot if he played 75 or 77. Right. But I, I think he'll creep into the mid to high 60s. Um, but the thing with Kawhi is he might be the best player in the NBA. He's still always kind of been a step below everyone else. I think his reputation as a player is maybe preceding his you know actual fantasy production. Right. You know, obviously, last year he was 27 points a game, seven rebounds. That's great. But... When you compare him to guys like Harden, Curry, you know, even Russ, Davis, LeBron, like 3.3 assists for a guy who's, you know, a frontline top five player in the league is pretty low. Uh, the steals are great. You know, he's always been 1.7 or above. Essentially, he's had a couple of years where he's gotten to two a game, uh, but the blocks have fallen off a little bit. He was only at 0.4 blocks a game last year. He was at uh, one block a game two times earlier in his career. So maybe if those rise, um, you know, that that can kind of explain it. But you know, he's not not an uber high volume three point shooter. Uh, there are just a few holes, I guess, in his fantasy profile that that knock him below the the guys who are in his tier as real NBA players then are also in that tier um, for fantasy production. Yeah, I have to agree. It's just like I said before, it's a rough spot to pick in a draft, yep. um, you know, because if you if you're like three picks earlier, you could just grab Damian Lillard and feel pretty good about it. Yeah. Um, I don't know. A couple of these guys, maybe I'll just go through at a time if you want to grab a guy who you think yeah. is interesting out of the list. Uh, Vucevic, ADP of 17. Mike Conley, ADP of 34. And Victor Oladipo, ADP of 59. I think all of those are a little high. Um, do you think one of those is more risky than the others? You know, I, I weirdly, I think Vucevic is safe. You know, we in our rankings for just kind of standard um, – you know, eight cat roto, right. we have him at 30, which is maybe a little bit low, but I, 17 is really high. I mean, I, I would say like, there's a very good chance he could do what he did last year, but I don't know if that's in the magic's best interest. You know, like he never really played that well before it was a contract year. Um, you know, he's not that young of a player where you kind of keep predicting this ascent. Right. Uh, so I certainly wouldn't take him at 17, but of those three, I think Oladipo is probably the most risky. I, I think, Based on what you've read, you know, about his his rehab and his comeback, you know, I, I, I don't think this is something that's going to affect him the rest of his career. I think he'll be good. But that team made a lot of changes this offseason. Um, Bogdanovich is gone. Lamb is in. Warren is in. Brogdon is in. You right. know, they, they, they don't need him necessarily to be that two-way hub that he was two years ago when he had that incredible fantasy season. Right. Um, it wouldn't surprise me if they ease him back in. I know they're – Kevin Pritchard – said in an interview a couple weeks ago that you know they're going to be as cautious with him as possible resting back-to-backs things like that so even if he comes back at say december 15th and he's ready to roll i you know i, I think the best best case scenario is he plays 60 games and it right. wouldn't surprise me if he plays considerably fewer than that and at that point if you're getting into the 50s or even the 40s for games played um you know obviously 59 is way too high yeah i mean with 59 based on adp you could get you could you might be able to s- swing jason tatum or like you know Otto porter or someone like that in that range that you feel confident is going to play you know 75 games and you know with vucevic i mean he was like he played 80 games last season he i that's not what he normally does for his career i mean even if you include last season 
since 2012-13, he's averaging 69 appearances. Mm-hmm. So, like, he's he's probably not going to be this healthy again. I don't think his points or rebounds are going to increase. Like, I think drafting him at 17, I understand positional scarcity. If you just want a center, I get it. Um, but at the same time, I mean, this is – drafting him 17 assumes he's, he's going to basically have the exact same year. Um, three more guys. Lonzo, ADP of 68. Marcus Morris – at 77 what <laughs> and jared allen at 80 um, i'm i'm all in on jared allen so i won't argue on that one okay but morris marcus morris at 77 he so this one's crazy to me i have this highlighted in like red and black is like I if you this, draft him here yeah, this is an aggressive highlight yeah i mean this is this ruins your team his best fantasy finish ever in his career was 83 so you're assuming now that he has a be- the best year of his career on the knicks and when he was the 83rd ranked player, he played, he played 36 minutes a game. Um, Can last you think year. of an explanation for this? Like, what is mm. if you're making the case for why you're taking Marcus Morris 77? Like, what is the what is the case? I think more times than not, a lot. It's just name recognition, and I not guess, that it's, it's like it's Marcus, it's Marcus Morris. <laughs> I mean, we get into these situations. <laughs> we're going to get later to Tim Hardaway Jr. It's like this is yeah, Tim. Like, this isn't the Tim Hardaway, right? And I think people fail to understand that. Um, I just, you know, and even if we just review last year real quick, he finished 106. He played 75 games in 28 minutes a game. I don't think he's topping that. I just, I, I don't understand how this happened. So we, we were just making fun of the Knicks for right. all the depth that they added. They have Randall, Portis, Gibson, Kevin Knox is still on the team, mm-hmm. Mitchell Robinson, um, you know, and then Marcus Morris himself, you know, Damian Dotson. I mean, not a guy to get excited about, but someone who played a lot of minutes last year. Yes. I, I just don't see what the argument is. Like Kevin Knox is going to have an extremely long leash for this team. He's going to play. Right? <laughs> yeah. Like they're going, this is going to be like a 25 win team. There's at what point you, you're not going to shift away from playing Smith and Barrett and Knox to get your veterans more minutes down the stretch. <laughs> right. If anything, it'll be the opposite, you know? Yeah. So like maybe early on when, when every team is convincing themselves that they're going to compete, Maybe Morris gets off to a fast start and plays over Knox and, and there's all that. But at some point, that's going to end. You know, the, at no point will, you know, after January 1st, will getting Marcus Morris 30 minutes a game be a priority. Right. And yeah. I, I just, this, this is, is a situation where you should, in general, you should never be drafting players at what you think their ceiling is. Uh, you no. want to get a value on every Especially single player. Especially not players like this. Not no, players I mean, like superstars, this. Superstars, I think you can make that argument. But right. not, not Marcus backup Morris. small forwards for the Knicks. No. Um yeah, I mean, quick hitters, Lonzo Ball at 68. That's, I mean, it's probably a ceiling. You're still risking a lot for injuries. And Jared Allen at 80. I mean, this is this is going to be one of the weirdest. Like, I think the ADPs for Jared Allen and DeAndre Jordan are just going to be all over the place because yep. we really have no idea what's going on for center at, yep. in in Brooklyn. Yeah, I don't I don't feel comfortable, you know, definitively commenting either way. I of the two, I prefer Allen right sure. now. I I think it would just be a, a grand mistake to stunt his growth and kind of shoehorn DeAndre into right. those minutes, especially like if Kevin Durant was on the team and you want to do that, I, I guess I kind of get it. You know, you're going all in. You want the veteran who's maybe a little more experienced, who's a better rebounder, who's more proven. That's fine. But in this year where it's kind of in a holding pattern, like this this is the year that you know you're kind of using as one more developmental year for Jared Allen. And then when you're really, when you really have your team next year, you know, he's that much more experienced. He's that much more ready. Um, so we'll see. I mean, obviously both are going to play. Right. I, I think it's going to be a less than ideal situation. I, I think if you read between the lines on the few comments that Allen has made this summer, I, I don't think he's super thrilled 
with the situation, but in some ways it does sound like this was just kind of part of the deal. You know, if if you if they wanted Kyrie and they wanted KD, sure they probably could have gotten them without DeAndre Jordan, but I I think they they just accepted this as one of the conditions. Right. And I I think I'm the opposite like you're you're more of an Allen guy. I would rather wait and see how far DeAndre Jordan falls. Like I think I took him 126th in a recent league and I'm like that sure. that's fine with me. I'll take him there. Mm-hmm. Um another group of three guys, uh one who I also have highlighted in red, Tim Hardaway Jr. being drafted at uh, 86, JaVale McGee at 91. Um, although that probably factors in a lot of like pre Dwight Howard stuff. Um, although you can, I guess you can make the argument you could still take him there. And Paul Millsap, uh, being drafted at 96. Um, I, I mean, Tim Hardaway Jr. is the, the ridiculous standout here. This is another guy, again, who has never finished this high mm-hmm. as a fantasy player. Like he's, his best fantasy finish ever was 103. That was back in 2016. He played 79 games pretty i mean 27 minutes per game i don't think he's hitting either of those marks this year um last year he played 100 or excuse me played 65 games ranked 141 in 32 minutes a game his efficiency is trash um the mavericks have i mean they have seth curry they just have other they have so many other options in the event that tim hardaway jr is not playing well yeah which is a very likely event i would say right i don't i don't think he I didn't get the impression, at least, that he made the greatest impression on Rick Carlisle no. last year. I, I I mean, there is a big hole, to be fair, at small forward in Dallas. You know, you have DeLon Wright and Brunson at point guard with, with Doncic as kind of the other option. Then you have Doncic at shooting guard with Seth Curry. You have Porzingis at power forward. You have Powell and Kleber at center. So they're set at four or five spots. But the three is the one that's still kind of a wild card. And, I, I mean, they just re-signed Dorian Finney-Smith. And I think they probably like what he brings on defense more than they like what Hardaway brings on offense. Yeah, I mean, I think they just had to get Hardaway to make the money work in the trade, right? I mean, he was yeah, just they never of, really wanted Hardaway. No, they didn't. Yeah, and I think that's something to consider too. Yeah, I, that's that might be even crazier than Morris, to be honest. Eighty six. Eighty six. That's crazy. Okay, um, so Javale at ninety one. Javale at ninety one. Um, I mean, he was the fifty eighth player last year. So like, I, I, this is. This is probably a fair ADP, but the Dwight situation just it it complicates things. You're assuming a lot of things drafting him at 91. You're assuming Dwight plays consistently fewer than 20 minutes a game. You're assuming Anthony Davis gets no minutes at center. Um, if Dwight gets let go, you're assuming again that Anthony Davis still plays very little, very few minutes at center. You're assuming Javale plays health is healthy enough to play 75 games and that he would have the same usage as last season. Yep even though the team is much better this year. I mean, this late in the draft, if this is your 10th or 11th pick, I can understand it. I just, again, I would. this is not the type of risk I would like to take at, at 91. No. I mean, Kyle Kuzma played 15% of his minutes at center last year too. So they have, right. you know, you probably don't want to be running Kuzma at center for the most part, but they have other options, you know, they, and you also don't want to be running JaVale McGee out there 28 minutes a game, which, yeah. you know, they went out of their way to not do that last year so i i agree i mean at 91 is not nearly as egregious as some of these others but that that's a little bit high for me uh another group of three jeremy grant at 100 schroeder also at 100 and bogdan bogdanovich at 106 i think we can talk about grant and Millsap, who you mentioned before he was at 96 in tandem because sure they're kind of going to work against each other. I I wouldn't say I was surprised that Denver brought Millsap back. I mean, he was 
he was in some ways their their big addition in free agency you know picking up yeah. that that expensive option i think it was 20 million uh he's not worth that i think they know that and they added jeremy grant via trade i, I do wonder you know this came after they re-signed Millsap. i do wonder if they knew what was going to happen with okc you know they, they probably didn't go into free agency thinking okc is gonna have a fire sale you know right. nobody did I do wonder if they would have just not re-signed Millsap and then done the, the Grant trade anyway. I would like both of these players' values probably a lot more if that were the case. I, I think eventually, I mean, I think we're to the point that like Jeremy Grant might end up starting for this team by the end of the year. You know, Mil- Millsap is still very productive. He, he kind of had a resurgent year last year after dealing with that hand-wrist issue that limited him to 38 games two years ago. Um, and he's, you know, he's still very good. He's, he's very efficient for an older player, but... I mean, his his minutes these last few years have gone 34 a game, 30 a game, 27 a game. I think that trend continues. He's probably closer to 25 this year. Right. And, you know, Jeremy Grant probably takes a step back as well. He was kind of a mini breakout player last year. And, you know, Denver being so deep is really not ideal for fantasy purposes. This is a great tandem to have in real life, of course. Yes. Um, But it's really tough to evaluate both of these guys in tandem. I agree. I mean, for Millsap, he played 70 games last year, 27 minutes a game. That ranked him 92. If you're drafting him at 96, you're basically assuming he has the same exact season. I wouldn't bet on that, um, especially given how deep the team is. For Jeremy Grant, um, you know, he, he played 80 games last year, which is a lot, 32 minutes a game, ranked 69th last season. Dropping him to 100 obviously makes sense. But, you know, unless he's going to play small forward, power forward, and center, I mean, that's the only way he can probably get over like, – to get 28 minutes a game, he probably needs to play all three of those positions. And I think he can. Like, I right. think he well, can they, actually do that. They have so that. much depth at all three spots. It's, it's right. tough. You know, like, especially if you are if you think Michael Porter is going to be a factor, that basically <laughs> rules out small forward. Right. You know, they also have Torrey Craig. They also have Gary Harris. Will Barton's there. Will Barton. Yeah, right. Exactly. Beasley. Like, yeah, and and Mason crazy. Plumley's probably going to play his 20 minutes a game. Yeah. So I just wouldn't draft Jeremy Grant in a standard league. I, I wouldn't even consider it. If it's a 16-team league, you want to take, take him with your last pick, yep. okay. Um, Millsap played exclusively power forward last year. Or, excuse me, Grant played exclusively power forward right. last year for what it's worth. Um, I just, This is just, again, not the risk I would take yep. at this point. Minimal upside here. You're banking on injuries. You're banking on a lot mm-hmm. of weird stuff happening. Schroeder at 100. I, I'm just not a Schroeder guy in general. Sure. So I, I've, I don't know if I've ever drafted him, but... I think the case for for that is Chris Paul gets traded at some point, yeah. and it's still a little bit complicated because then obviously Shea kind of shifts into the forefront, and you're it would somewhat depend on what you're getting back for Chris Paul with that right. type of trade. It's not just going to be picks, you know. It's going to be multiple players to match salary, um, so that could complicate things. I I guess there's a path to him being around 100. That wouldn't be that crazy, but I a lot of things would have to go right, I guess, for that to be the case. I agree, and. They needed him to be really good last year. Like they actually he was not he and he wasn't. So, you know, from a volume perspective, you know, I think taking Schroeder in a points league makes more sense. But I wouldn't necessarily bank on him efficiency wise. Um, again, probably better risks you can take at that point. And then Bogdan Bogdanovich. I mean, I, I like Bogdan. I think he can. I think he should be playing more than he does. I think he can play three positions. It's just they signed Trevor Ariza. They have Harrison Barnes at the three. They they're another team that you know the Kings just got weirdly deep this season at the in at the wing way. and the forward yeah. spot. I just Buddy Heald's locked in for thirty minutes. Um, this is just not there, there's not that much upside here. 
Um, there's more upside for like dynasty leagues and deep leagues, but in a standard league, I'm, I'm not sure I would just take the chance on Bogdan. Um, our final group of three, two Ooh. of which are highlighted again wow. in devastating um, red this is and like black. like a Halloween theme. Man. Um, Tristan Thompson being drafted at 109. Trevor Ariza being drafted at 121. And Al Farouk Aminu being drafted at 125. So judging by how you highlighted these on the document, I'm guessing that you think Aminu at 125 is the least egregious? By far. And I think Thompson at 109 is the most egregious. Yes. Okay. Let me let's let's hear it. I mean, I obviously Thompson's too high at 109, but I I've been somewhat of a defender of his um, for fantasy purposes, not in real life by any means. Sure. I I've, I've seen him botch too many easy lay-ins or dunks off of LeBron passes over the years. But very quietly, a a double double average last year. Only played 43 games. That entire front court just traded off being hurt. It seemed yeah, like him right. Nance um and Zubach you know just over and over and over um but I, I don't know or no it's not not Zubach who's the other one uh oh um wow I'm this also embarrassing on this um <laughs> Zizic. 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 Zizic okay Thank you. I knew that was wrong as soon as I said it they all those guys are still on the team yes I you know I think Nance if you're talking future priority should be the guy but even last year they were kind of hesitant to deploy him as much as they should have um I don't know I can't really mount a a, a sane defense for this (laughs) I'm not saying Tristan Thompson is undraftable but you're drafting him at 109 he's he's beaten the the 109 rank once in his entire career one time he played all 82 games and he played 31 minutes a game the the amount of I don't I don't know what would have to happen for Tristan Thompson to reach those marks again. I there's no reason. I mean, health wise, unlikely he plays 82 games. Role wise, no reason for him to play 30 minutes. Um, He's averaging under one assist, steal, and block per game for his career. Well, see, and that's the problem. Like he can average a double double. Yeah, and if you need some rebounds anything. in a head-to-head league, I get it. But he's just giving you literally nothing yeah, else. Bad free throw shooting. Not even great percentages. Right. Considering the type of shots he's taking. He's, you know, 53% last year. I would almost rather take, like, Ed Davis here. Oh, yeah. um, I, I, I kind of <laughs> sneakily like Ed Davis this year. Like, if Gobert misses 20 games, he's going to be a monster. Go, yeah, Ed Davis plays 40 minutes. Yeah. Um, And then Trevor Ariza. I... I was I was listening to a podcast and I heard one of the Kings beat reporters say that Ariza might not be an every night guy. That was that was enough for me what? to be like, well, drafting I won't draft him at uh, Why did he sign there? Uh it's I, locker room presence. I don't know. I thought he was like he did this exact same thing last year where he left a great team in Houston to go sign in Phoenix and like five games into the year he was already like leaking things to the press like this is terrible. Why did I do this? And now he did it again. Like, right. I know, I know Sacramento is not Phoenix, but at least in Phoenix, there was like opportunity for him. You know, yeah. like you could, you could say like, we're probably not making the playoffs, but I'll be that veteran guy. I'll still play 30 minutes a night. That's not even the case here. Right. You like you listed with Bogdanovich, you have him who, you know, he plays the two and the three. You have Harrison Barnes, you have Buddy Heald who plays some three. <laughs> right. Bielitsa. Uh, I mean, they've talked about playing Marvin Bagley at the three. Yeah. I, I just don't, that made no sense. And drafting him. You know, I think that that made little sense from a real basketball perspective, and it makes even less sense to now draft him in the 120s based on that. Right. He needs basically 30 minutes to hit this rank. And last season, he played a lot of minutes on the Wizards who needed him to right. like handle the ball. Um, not going to happen this year. Yeah, career high assists with the Wizards. 
Um, can probably skip over Aminu for the most part. He's I have just, no thoughts on Aminu. No thoughts on Aminu. Okay. Uh, we're now we're transitioning to the guys who are probably ranked too low. Um, Draymond is being drafted at forty-seven. Jason Tatum is being drafted at fifty-three, and Jaron Jackson Jr. is being drafted at seventy-two. So we have Draymond at eighteen in our roto rankings. I, I will admit that's probably a little bit higher than I'd like. We've you know we've tweaked the formula a little bit to to kind of compensate for especially unique players like Draymond, Ben Simmons, Russell Westbrook, guys like that. But I I do think there's a pretty good chance we get at least eighty five percent of finals Draymond next year. Right. You know it, it's tough to measure what the motivation level will be for this team. I, I would. I would think that there will be a decent amount, at least by Warrior standards, like probably the most that they've had since like 2016. And Draymond is going to play a ton of minutes. He's by default the second or third best playmaker facilitator on this roster. I think he's going to be in for a spike in rebounds, in for a spike in assists. I think his defensive stats will maintain at the very least. And I mean, there's an outside chance that he gives you more made threes. At, at this point, we are now three straight years of 31%, 30%, 29% from three. I'm never expecting him to become a 39% three-point shooter like he was during the 73-win team. Like that's gone. But if you're playing in a league that counts made threes, I wouldn't be shocked if by default he just needs to take more given the other players on this team, not having Clay Thompson to space the floor, not having a lot of those veterans that they've been so comfortable with these last couple of years. I mean, we've kind of joked around about Alec Burks, you know, being a huge piece for this team, but <laughs> that's kind of where they're at. You know, when they, the way that they went all in on that core and then to see Livingston, Iguodala, Durant go out the window, um, you know, even guys like Jarebko, who like weirdly would probably be a good fit on this team. Um, if Curry is out of the game and it's D'Angelo Russell, Jacob Evans, Alfonso McKinney, Draymond and Willie Cauley Stein, Draymond is like the second or third best shooter out of those guys so they like even even though he might only shoot 31 percent from three on the year i think he's just gonna have to kind of jack them for spacing reasons right and yeah like you mentioned eight ranking him 18 seems high but then you you think about the roster um i mean if 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 curry gets hurt or excuse me if if d'angelo russell gets hurt then Draymond becomes backup point guard right shoot, or point guard curry moves over to shooting guard if any of the two centers willie Cully steiner kevin come on looney get hurt then Draymond is going to play more minutes at center. I mean, the, there's a possibility he has a career year. It's not off the table. Like, age-wise, it wouldn't make a ton of sense. But you look at this roster, um, and I think it's important to consider, over the past five years, his fantasy finishes, best to worst, are 6, 16, 17, 23, and last year, 60. So him being a top 25 fantasy player is not even close to being out of the question. In fact, it could arguably more likely than him being outside of the top 25. So him being drafted at 47 is, is I mean, I understand the injury risk and last year, but if you can if you can get him in the third round, you should feel pretty good about that. And that he should be available at, based on this, he should be available mm-hmm. right now in almost every league at, in the third round. So you mentioned Tatum at 53, um, and you also noted that he's beaten this ADP both years of his career so far, yeah. 47 and 50 the last two years. It's hard to imagine him taking any step back. I mean, right? How would I that mean, be possible? It, it would not be possible. <laughs> I, I think there is a scenario in which you can just kind of take Kyrie's production out and then just replace it with Kemba's, and then you say, like, well, you know, why should we expect Tatum to make this major leap? It, it just feels like he's going to. I know that's like a terrible <laughs> argument, but everything is trending in that direction. I think 
I think there were reasons, you know, within that team why he wasn't comfortable being the second guy yeah. last year. Um, and, you know, I'm not even all that concerned about the loss of Al Horford, you know, because he just wasn't that much of a scorer, wasn't that much of a right. rebounder, you know. So if anything, maybe that's that's an argument for Tatum to grab some more boards. I don't know. Um, but it, it just it just feels like he's going to be in a position where everyone now expects him to be the number two option. There won't be resistance to him being the number two option. And, and I think just having that comfortability and that confidence is going to be huge. Would you take the over or the under on 20.0 points per game for Tatum next year? That's really tough. Um, I think we have him at 19.9 in the projections. I might go under, but I think it'll be close just because I the Brad Stevens offense, everyone shares yeah. the ball. Gordon Hayward should be a little better. The I mean, the, I mean, the team has the potential to be, you know, the third or fourth seed in the East, and it might not be close. Um, so, you know, there, there could be guys, you know, down the stretch where they, they might be blowing out some teams. It's possible. I mean, this, this is exactly what we were saying last year, yeah. but, um, I, I don't think he has to be a 20 point. This, he doesn't have to score 20 a game for this team to be really successful. I'd be very comfortable taking him at around 36, which is where he is in our, in our eight cat Roto rankings. I think that's probably about right. Yeah. And you know, him beating the 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 ADP of 53 the past two years that's been he's been really healthy and that matters um but you know even if he plays 75 games I would I would assume he beats this and yep um I think just touching on Jaron Jackson Jr. really quick um he's being drafted at 72 on a per game basis last year he was ranked 84th and he only saw 26 minutes a game and he didn't really rebound that well yeah really really bad rebounder so I would assume as long as he plays 70 games, he could see 32 minutes a game, could see 35 minutes a game. I really don't I really yeah. don't know. I, we have him at just under 32 being conservative based on how they handled him last year. But yeah, I mean, anywhere up to 35 or 36 is reasonable. Right. And so taking him at 72, that that feels pretty low. I don't. He didn't play at all with Valanciunas last year, right? So we'd no. have no sample size nope. for that. Um, not that I think it would be dramatically different than his like time on the floor with Gasol. Right. I think the fact that he was already a poor rebounder playing alongside Gasol makes me think that like I'm not too worried about Valanciunas stealing boards from him because <laughs> there just aren't that many to steal. Yeah, like his his Jaron Jackson Jr. guy averaged like four and a half boards a game. Like I don't. Yeah. Don't I I don't know. I, it, it is weird because like the type of player that he is, you'd think you know would kind of imply that he's a good rebounder but he he just wasn't i i don't really know how to explain it i didn't watch a ton of grizzlies games when right. he was healthy last year uh but w- i mean he's one of those guys that the the other stats that he gives you you know we have met over one made three a game which the way that he chucked in certain games i think seems very realistic close to two blocks a game um over one steal a game right you know he's a good free throw shooter for a big man um i, I think he's gonna be a really good player I do too. Um, Three more guys quick. Mitchell Robinson being drafted at 72nd. Otto Porter at 75. And Shea Gilgis-Alexander at 86. I have Otto Porter here highlighted. Um, When he... In in 2016 and 2017, he was ranked 26th and 28th. Uh, And that was averaging 14 points, six rebounds, two assists, basically two threes combined, two steals and blocks. I don't on a per game basis. I don't really see how he plays worse than that in Chicago. They're going to need him a lot to be a good wing defender. Mm-hmm. Um, I understand the addition of Thaddeus Young, the emergence of Laurie Markkinen that confuses things. But if Porter saw 35 minutes a game, put up those same numbers, that would not surprise me. And if you're getting a guy at 75 who has a legitimate history of being a top 30 player, 
that's an absolute steal. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, I think you could argue that Chicago is now a, a better team than the Washington team that he began the year with last year. You know, they're deeper, they have actual point guards now. But in those 15 games that he played with Chicago, admittedly a small sample, he averaged 2.7 assists. That was the most of his career. Um, you know, that number probably comes a little bit closer to two this year, but a guy who's always been, you know, basically over a half a block a game, you know, he's been a one and a half steals guy for the last three or four years. You can, you can count on that. Um, pretty good rebounder for a wing has, has had a couple years where he shot 43, 44, 41, uh, from three, he was at 49% on over five attempts per game in those 15 games with Chicago. So it is getting to the point with him where you can count on 40 plus percent from three on on a pretty decent volume i mean he's since uh 2016 17 so the last three seasons he's averaged 4.3 three-point attempts per game and with the way that things are going in the nba i would expect that number to kind of keep on this upward trajectory over the next few years right and there's a lot of guys like in the 70 range that i understand why they're this low because they haven't like proven to be able to yeah. play but when you, when you have a situation where guys have literally proven to be top 30 players or top whatever players before in the past realistically it just doesn't make sense how they fall this far i don't know if it's an injury thing i don't know if it's a lack of name recognition the stats don't look that like great on paper yeah there's a lot of factors but um the mitchell robinson thing i he seems to go in the third round him and zion just like generally third fourth round guys yeah the only thing i have to say about that is the same concerns we talked about with all the other knicks front court guys will they actually give him the minutes that he deserves you know, if he if he plays 30 plus minutes, he's easily third round value just on blocks alone. Basically, right. I mean, he will lap the field in block shots. Um, but there's also a chance that they kind of botch this and he plays like 27 minutes a game. And we're kind of sitting where we were last year with him. Right. Um, three more guys. Wendell Carter Jr. at 94. Thomas Bryant at 98. And Terry Rogier uh, also at 98. I think all of these guys, again, all these guys are too low. Um, I think... I think all of out of them, out of all of them, Thomas Bryant and Terry Rozier have have uh, the best chances of outperforming this ADP. I mean, I also like Rundell Carter Jr. That's not to say he he doesn't have a good chance, but um, I, I'm going to start with Rozier. Rozier w- had a better fantasy season than 98 two years ago, essentially as a bench player. Um, he finished 92nd, played 80 games, 26 minutes a game. He could actually play 10 more minutes than that this year. Like his efficiency is a concern. He's not an amazing passer, but he's a good rebounder, good steals guy, good three point guy. Ninety eight seems low. I mean, I feel like he should be a guy you would draft like seventy ish. I understand yeah. there's risk, but he is one of the only. I mean, him yeah. and Batum are the only actual like ball handlers on this team. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of fits this like Monte Ellis role you know i mean he's i would probably take the under on 40 percent shooting he's four years in and is yet to shoot 40 percent from right. the field in any season he he might triple his shooting volume this year yeah i mean at least double it i guess he took eight shots a game last year so probably not triple but he's coming in as i am the man for this team yep. and sadly that's probably how the rest of the team feels <laughs> too because the rest you know the other there are there are more veteran players on this team there are guys who are paid more than terry rosier but you're not going to go ask Nick Batum to have a 30% usage rate this year. And I, I think Rozier is more than up to the task for that. So I think you're going to get a lot of points. You're going to get a decent amount of rebounds for a point guard. You're going to get some okay assist numbers. He'll probably be up over one steal a game. Uh, but the percentages are not going to be good. And that's probably what worries me most. 
Yeah, and then we we've talked about Thomas Bryant before. Probably second best player on the Wizards. Um, ranked 116th last season, only playing 21 minutes a game. People are drafting him at 98. He he could see 30 minutes. Yeah. Um, Wendell Carter Jr. being drafted 94th. He was 118 on a per game basis. I assume that's that's all increasing. Um, another member of the Hornets, Miles Bridges, being drafted at 102. Marcus Smart is being drafted at 106, and Jeff Teague is being drafted at 107. Teague here stands out to me. Um, the 42 games last season, it's a complete anom- uh, anomaly, if I can say that word. Uh, from 2012 through two seasons ago, ranked between 19 and 46. Um, and he still ranked 95 on a per-game basis last season. So you're getting a guy who realistically could be a top 50 player if he plays 80 games at 107. Yeah. I don't that's one of the best values on the board. He was up opinion. over 8 assists a game last year. I'm with you. I mean, we have we have Teague at 51 in our roto rankings. I you know, and based on the numbers that you just listed from 2011 to 2018, that's maybe even a little bit low. Um I mean, this I'm not super high on the Wolves as an offense oh, or sure. just as yeah. a team or a franchise in general, but you know, I, I think they, they should be a little bit more productive at least than last year. I think a healthy Robert Covington will help. Um, you know, obviously you're going to be handcuffed by the type of player that Andrew Wiggins is, but there's an argument to be made that Jeff Teague is their second best offensive player, probably a pretty strong argument based on the other guys that are in contention. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think it's pretty realistic for him to return to the type of production that we saw, you know, omitting last year, somewhere between... 15 and 17 points per game, you know, maybe seven and a half, eight assists, three or four rebounds. And those kind of numbers with decent percentages, like he's always had, you know, work you into the the forties and the fifties. Right. Um, and I just want to mention like Marcus smart being drafted at one Oh six last year, he was 57th played 80 games. You should see more usage this year without Kyrie there, without Rozier there. Um, I agree. My only, sorry, my only reservation with him is last year was a big anomaly for both free throw per, or field goal percentage and three point percentage and sure. and field goal percentage or uh, free throw percentage. I'm sorry, I'm completely botching that now. After making fun of you, thirty six percent from three. Before that, he had never been higher than thirty three, and that was his rookie year. Forty two percent from the field. He had never been higher than thirty seven before that. Sure. And obviously, those are tethered to each other. Part of the reason he shot so well from the field was because he shot so well from three. If that goes back down, you're maybe in a little bit of trouble. But he does provide you with a ton of steals. Right. Um, and, and a decent amount of assists too, for a guy who doesn't really, you don't really think of, I guess, as a true point guard. I agree. Um, three more guys, Dragic being drafted at one Oh eight. I think that's a pretty similar situation to Teague. I understand like Jimmy Butler being there complicates things, but Dragic is still a starting point guard. Um, his worst rank from those same years as Teague 11 through 17 was, uh, worst rank was 64. Mm-hmm. Um, Gary Harris being drafted at 114 and Thomas Zagoransky being drafted at 118. Uh, Gary Harris, obviously the health is a concern, um, but he's been top 100 on a per game basis three times. Uh, in 2017-18, he played only 67 games, but still finished 44th. Um, the Nuggets depth, like we talked about earlier, there's a possibility they try to scale back, I guess, Harris's role to keep him healthy. But I've at 114, that's... I mean, that's unquestionably worth the risk mm-hmm. at 114. I would probably take him earlier. For sure. Yeah, I know we're we're a little more conservative on Gary Harris on the site. Um, I think I only projected him for 65 games based sure. on the injuries. That's fine. And 
Yeah, and, and unfortunately, the way that these projections work, like those, you know, those lack of games played do really affect where guys end up standing. You know, you'll see that with Jimmy Butler, Kawhi, as we mentioned. Um, but I, I just don't feel great about artificially bumping up the stats to compensate. You know, right. like, I mean, Gary Harris has played 57, 67, 57 the last three years. You know, I sure he could, he could go play 79 games next year, but yeah. like the numbers suggest that he'll probably miss a decent amount of games. And I don't, I don't feel comfortable going against that. Um, and like you said, the bigger concern for me is they didn't miss a beat really without him last year. I mean, he's he's the best player of the Malik Beasley, Monte Morris, Will Barton, Torrey Craig crew. Mm-hmm. But all those guys are pretty good. And they're all guys who after last year, I think, expect to get minutes. I mean, Torrey Craig was starting games for this team in the playoffs. You can't just you know, that you can't just tell him like, Hey, sorry, you're just not playing for most of this year now. Right. You know, I, I think this is going to be a team that, you know, maybe, maybe they'll fall victim like the Celtics did last year to having too many guys, but they're so deep at every position. It, it just doesn't make a lot of sense for, for them to throw Gary Harris out there for 34 minutes a night when you have so many other capable options behind him. Sure. And I just, more than anything, I think the ADP doesn't reflect his upside. Like I, there, there are so many players in this like, po- like, post 100 range that are being drafted before him that have zero upside marcus morris tim hardaway jr tristan thompson like why are these guys yeah going above gary harris they don't really have a history of of being that good um final four guys nick batum at 122 alex len at 141 kent Bazemore at 155 and ish smith at 261 um I highlighted Ish Smith because 261 is ridiculous. I mean, I assume it's just because he's going undrafted a lot of the times. Yeah. Um, but, you know, from uh, from 2016, 2015 to 2016, I think onward, I may have messed up my notes here, but he, he's had a history of being like close to a top 100 player before uh, playing 80 games and 26 minutes a game. 80 games probably a reach this year, but it's possible he plays 30 minutes a game. And he should have a bigger role. I mean, this might be the biggest role of Ish Smith's career coming up, especially if if Bradley Beal plays like 60 games or gets traded midseason. Yeah. I mean, Ish Smith's one of the only capable playmakers on this team. I mean, eight, I mean, nine, even six, if Brad Beal doesn't get traded, I, right. I think that that a Brad Beal trade might almost pose more of a threat to Ish Smith because you might bring a player back who's better than Ish Smith. <laughs> I think right now it sets up perfectly for him to play 30 minutes a game. Right? It's it's him and Isaiah really at point guard. Yes. And I mean, Isaiah's. I, unfortunately i think he's just done you know as like a productive player yeah, I and I, I think it's going to be really tough for any team even a team like the wizards who are in a pretty bad spot here to justify throwing isaiah out there for 25 minutes a night so i mean i, I think ish could very easily play 30 minutes the thing with him i mean decent field goal percentage for a guy who's as small as he is and kind of has that style but doesn't really give you anything on the defensive end he's not a great three-point shooter you know in terms right. of volume oh, yeah. maybe that changes this year with more minutes um assists you know kind of middle of the road as far as point guards go i i I do agree i mean 261 is way too low he's kind of in that category for me with torian prince that we talked about javel mcgee that you talked about where you get to rounds 9 10 11 12 and at that point i I tend to rather than looking at guys who you know like let's say let's i think a lot of people will take like Jarrett culver and be like well maybe he's going to be really good maybe he's a great rookie with your last pick and there's no nothing wrong with doing that but i would rather have even though Ish Smith's ceiling is pretty low, he's going to play 30 minutes a night. So his floor is pretty high. Like that's right. somebody I would take just to have on my bench. And when he has a four or five game week and, you know, James Harden has a two game week, maybe you throw him out there. I agree. And that's, that's also how I feel about Kent Bazemore, um, who I recently just drafted with the final pick on, in a mock draft. 
Um, past four years, his average rank is 99, and that's averaging 70 games and 26.7 minutes per game. I think that's a very accurate like possibility of what happens this year for the Blazers. Yeah, always um, a good steals guy. Good steals guy. The Blazers are this enti- like the roster is so shallow. I mean, any injury to any significant player on this Blazers team is going to be like l- l- devastating. Yep. Um, and they're the the amount of faith that the Blazers seem to have in Anthony Simons is concerning. Because um, if you know if he's not as good as they think he is, then CJ McCollum's going to have to play a lot at point guard, backup point guard. And then Kent Bazemore is just going to have to play a ton at shooting guard and small forward. So um, I I really like Bazemore's chances of of outplaying the rank of 155. Um, like unquestionably taken with your last pick, in my opinion. Um, so do you want to go through some of these tough decision guys? Is there anyone that really stands out to you? Um, on this list, mm. we have guys like Beal, Zion, Love, Bojan, DeAndre Jordan, Levert. I don't want to talk about Zion. We've everybody's talked about that. We, I think you, me, and James on our last pod yeah. really got into that. I, I just don't know. We saw nine minutes at summer league. I, I want to wait until we have a real sample. I really wish he was playing for Team USA. I, I think that would be a lot of fun. Not that that's like the greatest theater for this, but it would just seeing him in an NBA setting for more than single digit minutes would be great. I, I just, I want to see it happen before we really get in on on Zion. Kevin Love's always an interesting one. Always, you know the. The per game numbers always look good. You know, I, I have him as like a 20 and 11 guy for next year, but we kind of quibbled over how many games to project him for. I mean, right. he's, we talked about this with Gary Harris. I mean, Kevin Love is the extreme version of this. You know, I, it, it would just be shocking if he plays 70 games, you know, let alone right. 75, 82. Last three years have been 60, 59, 22. He's had a year back in Minnesota when he played 18. Really has just never had an extended stretch of health. Um, I guess you could say the middle of his career, he went 77, 75, 77, but that's been bookended by, by injuries. And it just kind of seems like it's, it's been a cycle these last few seasons that doesn't seem like it's going to reverse. He's lost all that weight and he's still having lower body injuries. Right. Um, you know, and even he's such a weird player too, because he, he's always among, you know, the best rebounders in the league. He's going to give you points. He's going to give you threes, but for a power forward to be shooting 39% as he did last year. And, you know, granted he was on a bad team coming back from injuries. Uh, you kind of give him the benefit of the doubt, but even at his absolute peak, you know, back in Minnesota, he, he was mid forties, mid to low forties. Um, first couple of years in Cleveland, 43, 42, 43. Um, you're, you're just, you're getting some rebounding production. You're getting the points, you're getting the threes, but you're sacrificing, field goal percentage at a position where almost everybody else is head and shoulders better. Right. And the the argument to take him at 72 is that two years ago, he played only 59 games, but still ranked 63rd. Yeah. Like, if I, I feel like that's a legit possibility. Um, you know, I wouldn't, I don't think I would draft love before this because the amount of people that will, will draft love before this. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like 72 is, is where he's being drafted. I don't think people are drafting love at 50 and people are drafting love at 90. I think he's being drafted yeah. here. Is it good or bad if he gets traded? Um, for his fantasy value, that is. I probably bad. Um, but he might be. The the chance that, you know, he'll be thrown out there to play even when he has a minor injury, the chances are way greater if he's on a better team. I mean, if he sprains an ankle, like, 
pretty you know minor sprained ankle he's just probably not going to play for the cavaliers right he's that's kind of what sit. i'm thinking and i i don't think he's the type of player that they would sit at any point if they're if and when they they go into tank mode you right. know, i don't I, but like you said i think any minor injury then gives you that excuse to do that yes whereas if he's in say portland you know that he probably plays through that type of thing i agree um anyone else on this list let's see we already talked about deandre lavert at 98 kind yeah. of an interesting one he's been in the news having just signed that extension i'm, I'm always a little iffy on him you know i, I yeah i think he'll be good he'll be in a good spot this year with no durant you know he's arguably their second offensive option at times um our rankings are, are similar we have him at 106 and i actually made a point to bump him up these last couple of days um i've met 15 and a half points four rebounds about four and a half assists one steal he's not a great free throw shooter which in our rankings formula really hurts him he's kind of hovered at around like 70 or even lower these last few years um but he's one of those guys i think that you will we could look back in may and be like wow we were way low on levert you know can you right. believe we only had him projected for this number of points you know i, I think I think he's. This could maybe finally be the year if he stays healthy, as it looked like last year was going to be before he got hurt. Um, and granted, he came back, but he just didn't quite look the same. If he plays seventy-five games this year and kind of keeps building on what we saw early on last year, um, I think he's someone that that could certainly outperform his projection. Yeah, this is a games played thing um, it, because he it, the the Nets really only have three like playmakers on this team, it's Irving, Dinwiddie and Lavert, and they're actually all injury prone. Mm-hmm. So, assuming one of them is hurt basically at all times, um the other two should see bumps in usage or if two of them are hurt, you know, vice versa. I mean, if Dinwiddie and Irving end up hurt at the same time for a stretch of like 2 weeks, Lavert could like fly up the fantasy ranks um big time. So, um I think I think drafting him at 98 is probably appropriate. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thad Young at 100, uh, don't love it. That's too high. Yeah, I would probably take him. I would probably take him after this. Um, but he was still in. This is a long time ago, and so like fantasy dynamics have changed. But um, in 2011 and 2012, he ranked 73rd and 77 respectively, seeing between 26 and 28 minutes per game. So I don't know. I I just think. The amount that Larry Markkinen's probably going to play, I don't know. the 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 way Thad Young hits this is if he plays some small forward and if he plays some center. Yeah, and I, I think, think that's it's the possible steals. but unlikely. Yeah, I mean, he's one of those guys. We were talking off air about about certain players and like if the way you're drafting, you know, you get to round nine or ten and you realize you're light on steals, maybe maybe you take Thad Young right. twenty spots higher than you should just because he's been an uncanny steals guy for the position um you know kind of a niche category guy but i you know i I guess we've we've seen teams make the wrong decisions roster wise depth chart wise before you know like maybe maybe they play him over wendell carter maybe he turns out to be a better option if they really want to win games and it looks like they have a chance to be the seven or the eight in the east that's probably his path to top 100 but i think you at least have to give wendell carter every chance to earn big minutes at center at least to start the year i agree what about saric I I'm a little low on Sarge. I think um, at least compared to you this year, I, he's he's closer to 150 in our rankings. He's 117 in these Fantrax ADPs. I I'm a I'm a Sarge fan. Like I think he's good. Like I I probably watch too much process Sixers basketball. Just like I watch too much like rebuilding Lakers basketball, and now I'm still high on like Lonzo Ball and yeah. Randall and like all these guys. 
Um, but he, two years ago, he played 78 games, 30 minutes a game. I think that's possible this year. And he ranked 52nd that year. So I, you know, it, it might surprise me if he, if he gets to that, that mark again, because I think the, the, um, the Suns have like a very distinct, well, maybe they don't, but Booker and Aiden are like their guys. Like those, the offense is probably going to run through those two guys. Now why they added Ruby out of the mix, whatever. Um, they still have Kelly Oubre. I mean, they have options. They have Cam Johnson. You never know about Kaminsky. So if, I mean, if you think Sarge is going to play close to 30 minutes a game and you're, you know, you still have that process Sarge stuck in your head, like, like me, you're going to just draft him if he's on the board at 117 because if he's your second to last pick or whatever. Again, this is a starter. He's probably he's gonna probably gonna start. He could play close to 30 minutes. He's a decent passer. Um, he's showing upside as like a rebounder at times. So um, I would I would take the risk at mm-hmm. 117. You want to talk gambling? Let's do it. So FanDuel has they've been continually updating the wins totals things like that. Um, you know, as as news like the boogie injury and the Dwight signing have broken, but. They have added now uh, player futures bets. So in addition to MVP, Rookie of the Year, Defensive Player of the Year, Six Man, which have been out for a while, we now have odds on who will finish with the highest points per game, rebounds per game, assists per game, blocks per game, and three-pointers made per game uh, averages. So I wanted to break down a few of those and then look at a couple of the just playoffs yes or no bets, which I think are kind of fun. Right. So we'll start with the scoring title. Harden is the the obvious and rightful favorite at minus 105. Curry, plus 300. Giannis, plus 700. AD, plus 950. Beal, Booker, Embiid, all at plus 1,600. Lillard at plus 1,900. Kawhi, LeBron, and PG, all at plus 2,300. It was really hard for me to kind of make a case for anybody beyond the top two. And, you know, I know throwing Westbrook into the mix in, in Houston is a massive wild card, but... Harden won the scoring title last year by over eight points per game. So <laughs> yes. even like even if you really think Russ and Harden are going to be a terrible pair, it's hard for me to think Harden loses eight points per game. Um, Paul Paul George was second last year in scoring, and he's just not even really a contender this year. Plus twenty three hundred, not a lot of respect for him, and rightfully so. I mean, I I don't I don't really see him as a true contender here. I just thought that was interesting. Uh, Anthony Davis, if you're looking for a little bit more value, he's at plus nine fifty again. Uh, he was second in the league in scoring two years ago. So, sure. you know, I, I think a lot of these bets, or a few of them at least, that have really clear favorites, for example, Curry made threes per game. If you're basically saying, like, okay, if Curry gets hurt, you have to play at least 58 games to be eligible, which for Curry especially, like, I don't know, it wouldn't, be, it wouldn't be that crazy given his injury issues. You're kind of just saying, like, all right, if Harden gets hurt, who might win the scoring title? And for me, I think for the value, Davis at plus 950 is the best bet. But I, I don't really love any of these. No, you. I mean, you. The first thing you have to do is just disqualify anybody who you think will has no chance of scoring thirty points a game. Like yeah. every, you have to be. There has to be a realistic path to all these guys scoring thirty points a game because we, if we assume Hargan's going to score minimum thirty points a game, yeah. Um, and that makes sense for Curry. You know, Giannis. I don't know if the minutes will be there because they. Boonholzer's been pretty conservative with him, although it's always possible. I mean, Giannis is such. I mean, such a high usage player um Beal if he just decides like hey I'm the best guy on this team I'm gonna try to be James Harden I'm gonna shoot 25 times a game like I don't care like that's a possibility I think that's a possibility more for Booker he, uh, also he, yeah in like a really sad like the season's over I'm just gonna go crazy like like the 70 point game against the Celtics like he just tries to do that for two months straight yeah except Booker has like actual 
Like he has other options around him. Right. The franchise isn't like falling yeah. to pieces entirely. Well, <laughs> entirely. I'll you on that, but sure. Um, I would. I would. If if we were betting, I would assume Beal. I don't know if I would assume Beal finishes with more points per game than Booker. Maybe. That'll be that's close. a tough one. They've, they've been close the last couple of years. Ben Simmons is at plus ten thousand. That, that's an interesting one. <laughs> Can you imagine Ben Simmons? How Marcus is, Aldridge how, at plus ten thousand. How? <laughs> How does Ben Simmons average 30 points a game? That's uh, the well, the, th- the three-point shot comes around. Right. Um, all right, rebounding per game. This one, I think, I'd, I'd have to double-check, but I think this is the biggest favorite in terms of top odds versus second-best odds. Andre Drummond, of course, is the the overwhelming favorite. He is at minus 220. <laughs> Embiid is at plus 800. Uh, and then Giannis at plus 1,100. Whiteside at plus 1,200. Towns, Gobert at plus 1,300. Um, and then you get into DeAndre Davis, Capella, Cantor, et cetera. So the last few years, Andre Drummond, his last six seasons, he's finished second, second, first, second, first, first in rebounds per game. Never a guy you worry about missing games. So for, no. for this one, you know, like Drummond playing fewer than 58 doesn't seem all that realistic. I don't love, or I, I don't hate the odds, I should say, on Giannis, Capella, um, maybe even Enos Cantor, who was six in the league and rebounding two seasons ago in just 25.8 minutes. Yeah. So there's an argument if maybe for some reason he plays a ton of minutes, he just becomes this rebounding vacuum and and has this crazy year, but I mean for the odds maybe maybe I like Cantor just because um he's at plus 3400, but this is another one where like Harden if if Drummond stays healthy, I think he cruises to it. Yeah, I agree. I mean there's not yeah, I mean again, this is one where you have to assume like cross everyone off this list who can't average 15 rebounds yeah a game and there's so few players that you just were like yeah like very easy chance they could average 15 a game like it's like drummond yep. white side if he plays 30 minutes towns if he like i mean towns is on there. gobert yeah tries you know i so yeah i think i think having drummond i would i would bet on drummond yeah. I, I don't think i would entertain any other possibilities as an actual bet assist per game i thought this one was interesting the favorite is russell westbrook that i don't like that he's at plus 300 he's not he's not a heavy favorite by any means he's at plus 300 trey young plus 350 lebron plus 360 chris paul plus 600 ben simmons plus 700 kyle lowry plus a thousand um and then basically every other point guard in the league is on that list russ i mean i guess maybe he's earned the benefit of the doubt to be the favorite last four years he's been second third first first in assists sure so I, i guess it makes sense um i i like lebron for this one I, I think with the amount of point guard that he's going to play for this team he was up over nine assists per game two years ago um I, I think he could do that again i think trey young is a really good bet um you know and then if you look a little bit further down chris paul at plus 600 if, if he stays healthy for 58 games he's going to have the, the ball in his hands quite a bit more i think there's a chance he, he has something to prove ben simmons plus 700 uh beyond that i, I don't think anyone outside of those top five of Russ, Young, LeBron, Paul, and Simmons really has much of a shot. Right. I think the key here is this player has to be almost the only legit yeah. playmaker on their team. Well, you can get Rozier at plus 10,000. So there you go. <laughs> I For that reason, I like Trey Young. Um, no one else on that team is yeah. making plays. And um, we already saw how you know great of a passer he was last season. Um, I don't expect that to decrease. Um, and you know they have a better team around him. Yep. Um, Blocks per game. Mitchell Robinson, the rightful favorite. I, I think he's close to a lock if he gets the the right number of minutes and inherently the right number of games. He's at plus 150. Miles Turner, plus 290. 
Gobert plus 360, then it's Davis, Whiteside, Lopez, Embiid, McGee, and Jaron Jackson, who's at plus 3,400. My dark horse is Hassan Whiteside for this one. Plus yeah. 1,100, pretty good odds. He, he did average 3.68 blocks in 2015-16. That was the highest per game average at the time in 15 years. Theo Ratliff back in 2000-2001. So since 2001, no one has averaged more blocks in a single season than Hassan Whiteside. That's impressive. And I think I think it's important to note um, the way Coach Terry Stotts plays defense or has his team play defense. They always drop the center back and the pick and roll. So pretty, Whiteside's never coming out to the perimeter. Right. Almost in every single action any other team's going to run, Hassan Whiteside is going to have his arms up in the paint. Yeah. And so I do I do like that bet because I think, you know, if well, we talked about their depth issues before, I mean, I they – they're gonna want Hassan Whiteside to play 30 minutes a game. He was kind of Mitchell Robinson before Mitchell Robinson, like fantasy wise, yeah. less athletic, more insane. Right, but like he, those kind of blocks numbers. You know, I mean, we talk about Mitchell Robinson being this virtuoso. Like that was kind of Whiteside three or four years ago. I agree. Um, I, yeah, I think that's a strong bet to make. Mm-hmm. Maybe the best value bet out of all of the you know ten to one yeah guys on on any of the categories that we discussed. Yeah, I feel the same way for sure. Uh, most made threes per game so not total again these are 58 games played minimum to qualify curry's the heavy favorite he is at minus 240 hardens at plus 350 buddy healed at plus 1480 so there's a pretty massive jump from curry to harden and then an even larger jump from harden to healed um this is another one where it's kind of a two-man race between curry and harden and i mean those two last year had at least 1.0 three-pointer made per game more than the number three guy i guess is a really roundabout way of saying that they separated themselves i mean curry beat buddy healed last year by 1.7 made threes and we think curry's usage might even skyrocket this year so like like, even if you're really high on buddy healed he's not going to catch i mean 1.7 made threes doesn't sound like that much but per game that's a ton and you know again if curry and harden stay healthy one of them is winning this i was surprised to see trey young so low at plus 4600 yeah. i mean he shot six threes a game last year yeah um that's that's a pretty solid long shot bet yeah i, th- I think so i mean he would have to take so many and improve his percentage by a ton but i mean a lot of his percentage got dragged down by his early season which yeah. was like like atrocious i feel um, like if you play this you play this nba season out 46 times he's at plus 4600 there's one time that trey young leads the league in in three-pointers made right yeah, he shouldn't have the same odds as Wayne. Throw Ellington. throw a dollar on that. Yeah, yeah. Wayne Ellington. Is <laughs> he even going to play fifty eight games? That's what I'm trying to say. How does Wayne Ellington have better odds than, than Devin Booker? Um, or Joe Harris even? That's I I can't answer that. Yeah. Well, I mean, the key to this is you you start to get to the middle late odds in here. You know, plus um, like five thousand and beyond. It's your specialists. You know, Terrence Ross, Ellington, Inglis to a degree, Harris. Um, you know, even Tim Hardaway, I guess, kind of qualifies. JJ Redick in order to get to like that peak peak of made threes, you know, you have to be a ball handler. Right. You have to be Curry. You have to be Harden. Like even Buddy Heald is probably the best example of a, of a quote unquote specialist. And he's, he's not JJ Redick level specialist, but no. it's no, like you can't, you can't be in that type of role and, and make five threes a game. It just, it doesn't really mesh. Yeah, I agree. All right. Uh, last thing they, uh, FanDuel also offers playoffs. Yes or no bets. Uh, which which are interesting for the most part they fall in line with expectations but I, I just wrote down three or four that i thought were a little bit interesting i kind of like the mavs to make the playoffs at plus 250 i 
I think if you're betting the Mavs to make the playoffs at plus 250, you're assuming the Warriors don't. And I think that's Somebody, fine. Yeah. I think that's fine. Um, you're you're y- assuming it's the Warriors or the Spurs or the Blazers or, God, yeah. for, God forbid, the Lakers. I think um, you know Portland has a chance of falling out considering how thin – their margin for error is so low. Yeah. Um, OKC's definitely out. Um, LA's in. The Kings are going to be competitive. I – I don't know if I like two to one. Essentially, I think I think if this was plus three fifty, maybe plus four hundred, I would take yeah. it. But that's a little that's a little close for me. Yeah, I agree. I'm not saying these are great bets by any means. No, it's but interesting. I, I'm just trying to find a little value. Um, conversely, the Warriors to not make the playoffs is plus two seventy, and I would bet on the Warriors making the playoffs. I, I don't think this is one that I would personally take. But we've discussed at length on this podcast what would happen if Steph Curry went down and this right. is essentially that bet. It is. And I actually, I think this is a pretty good value bet. Obviously like a little more would be nice, but I, you know, if, if Curry misses 15 games, if D'Angelo Russell misses 10 to 15 games, if Draymond Green misses 10 games, then they're in, I mean, they're in real trouble at that. One point. of those things is likely to happen, right? You know, probably not all three together, but the likelihood of all those, all three of those players playing 75 plus games is just not good and even playing all three of those guys playing 70 games is probably not all that likely right i mean if two of those if one of those guys is out you know any given game i mean their chances of winning against you know if you if you had the if you had the d'angelo russell draymond green warriors against the like i don't know indiana pacers 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 are probably win there's like five teams that you would take that team against exactly yeah uh this is one that i would not bet but i thought it was noteworthy and kind of funny that the clippers to make the playoffs minus 4500 <laughs> the lakers to make the playoffs minus 750 those teams have the two best title odds and they're really close so the lakers are either going to win the title or like there's a pretty decent chance it's a complete disaster which is what those odds are saying that i think you know i don't know man i doesn't make a lot of sense i, I think it's just like the depth of the clippers yeah you know the, the clippers can get by you know if we assume if we assume Paul George plays 60 games, Kawhi Leonard plays 60 games, the chances of the Clippers making the playoffs are better than if LeBron plays 60 and if Anthony Davis plays 60. Right. Or a doomsday scenario where they play under like 40. Um, but The Lakers are minus plus, four, they're plus 440 to win the title and minus 750 to make the playoffs? I, That's I, hilarious. I mean, it's accurate. I mean, it, it, I ref, it reflects the attitude of, of what people think of the Lakers, I think, really well. Right. Okay, last one. Uh, I like the Spurs. There's no value here at all, but I like the Spurs to make the playoffs at minus one ninety five. I, they, you know, they should. Um, they definitely there is should. no they're, value. I think they're going to be really good. I can't say for certain that they'll be really good, but they you just can't bet against Pop. They've never so their over under is forty six and a half. They've never under Pop lost or won fewer than forty seven games ever. I mean that's unbelievable. Isn't that crazy? Twenty. Yeah. It's twenty-two years, and as I outlined in an article on the site earlier this week, the streak is technically twenty years, but you have to factor in the lockout year, which sure. they didn't win forty-seven, but they were on pace for like sixty-one. <laughs> so they almost won forty-seven in a lockout year. Um, yeah, crazy. I eventually that's going to end. All streaks do, but sure. it it doesn't seem like this is the year where they they add Damari Carroll, which I weirdly feel good about this is like the only team he could join where i would say like that's a great pickup plus you get murray you get, back yeah you get DeJounte murray back um Derek white looks like a considerably better asset now than he did this time last year um i'm i mean i'm always high in the spurs most people are but i, I think they're gonna 
I think they could surprise some people and kind of be in the battle for like the three or four seed. That would be crazy. I would. You, I wish what you could bet on like the seeds over unders. Like if the if the you know Spurs were like a over under five and a half seed. Although in the Western Conference, yeah. that's I mean that's anarchy. Well, you can get you can get number one seeds. You can bet which team will be the one seed on FanDuel. Right. You can't bet what seeds other teams will be. Yeah. Um, but reading into those odds, the Spurs have the eighth best chance at the one seed. Sure. And they're considerably behind teams like Portland. Like Portland is plus 1,600. Golden State's plus 1,700 to get the one. San Antonio's plus 5,000. I feel like they're closer to that team than they are Dallas, New Orleans, Sacramento. I agree, too. Yeah, I I think... You know, I, f- I feel I almost feel like the Portland, the the Portland thing has swung too much far the other way. Like everyone's like, yes. "Oh, Portland's underrated for this all is these the third years." Third straight year that they've vastly undervalued them in terms of preseason projections. Right, I think. and and now that they've gone to the Western Conference Finals, the the over under is up. But this team is, like I said before, like I think their margin for error is like zero. Right, with the with their injuries, with the with the chemistry, you know, trying to the Hassan Whiteside situation, getting right. all these guys integrated. I mean, Portland's over-under is up. Like, last year, I think it was at, like, 43, which I remember thinking was crazy low, and they won 53 games. But the over-under is only at 46 and a half. So despite that run, you know, I think that earned them a little bit of clout, but not that much. I mean, most teams that make the West Finals and win 53 games don't have their win total knocked down by seven wins. Right. And, yeah, 46 wins is basically a playoff yes or no bet at the end of the day in the Western Conference. Last year, the eight seed won 48 games. Yeah. But, I mean, going back to my Spurs point of them getting the third or the fourth seed, to me, if this team wins 52 games, that might get it done. I mean, 50 games got you the five seed last year. That's true. Three and four were tied at 53 wins. I think we maybe see a little bit more parity as Golden State. You know, Golden State uh, won the West in the regular season last year at 57. You know, you can probably lop off 10 wins from that team and then redistribute those. Like, I think I think the West could be could be won with, like, 55 wins by Denver. Right. And then the two could be 54, 53. And then kind of, I think there would be a ton of teams between 46 and 54. You know, there could be nine teams with, with that fit those win totals. I, I, it's on the table that the eighth seed in the West wins 50 games. Very much so. Yeah. I mean, it almost happened. Wild. It almost happened last year. I mean, yeah. seeds three through eight were separated by five games. Yeah. And two through eight were separated by six games. So, yeah. I mean, it's just kind of how it's been in the West and. I don't expect that to be any different anytime soon. Anything else? No. Okay. I think that'll wrap it up. Um, have a good weekend. We'll be back. I think probably talking more more ADP, more overall rankings. We'll do a, re, a reissue of our top 150 composite right. probably at the end of next week. And yeah, season's almost here. Less than two months away. 